the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined as always by Ian Simpkins. Yeah, mostly, not always. Not always. Mm. You're here more than I am. <laughs> that, that part is true. That is true. You're on quite the streak right now. The streak. You're, like the streak. The Cal, you're the Cal Ripken Jr. of... Uh, oh, good reference. You're the Cal Ripken Jr. of uh, radio. And uh, me, not so much. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, what are you of radio? You're the uh, Derek Rose the of radio. <laughs> That's a good one. That was good. That was good. Well, you can follow us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. Online at 1160hope.com. Uh, podcast as Google Play, Apple Podcasts. We ask that you subscribe, rate, review. Pass it on to your friends, whatever you do with the podcast, and uh, you can text us. No, no, we're, like, we're going right by that. Pass it on to your friend like it's passing a note in class. Like, here, I got I'm this. Trying, I'm trying. I got I'm this trying. podcast for you. 68683. You can text us, 68683CG, followed by your comment. And you can call us, 312-660-2594, 312-660-2594. Okay, before we jump into our first story here, I have not told you what I did yesterday. I had an unbelievably like out of like, oh, like, I can't believe I'm doing this. It was really cool, right? Crazy guy from my church invited me to go golfing. That and, is uh, crazy. Which was even great. Just the matter of going golfing in the sun and beautiful weather. And sure. he's like, he's like, listen, he's like, there's gonna be two other guys. And uh, he's like, I know you're going to want to do this. And you know who they were? It was uh, Alexander Hamilton and King George from Hamilton. No. In Chicago. Yeah, spent 18 holes with them yesterday. What? Awesome guys. Really fun. Are you just saying that because they might be listening? They or are they not, actually? I promise you they are not listening. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Did you know that yeah. going in? Oh, so you didn't did. show up and you're like, wait a minute. Nope. I recognize you. Have you seen Hamilton? I haven't. Uh, okay. Well, there's the famous Alexander Hamilton uh, song that's something to the effect of like, I'm not going to miss my shot or I'm not going to give up Could my shot. Could you just sing a little bit for I'm us? I'm not going to miss my shot. Yeah. It goes like that. Okay. And I warned my friend. I'm like, you know, I'm going to do that on the first tee. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's low-hanging fruit right goes, there. He goes, if you do, you need to just walk straight to your car. So I held off. I didn't do it. I didn't, no. <laughs> He's like, I went out on a limb and invited you here. Please don't embarrass me. Don't do it. So I knew I knew my place, so I didn't do it. And, uh, yeah, it was a ton of fun. It was a ton of fun. And, uh, anyway, well, a crazy story uh, that broke yesterday. You and I were reading about it at Christianity Today, and I don't even know how to get my mind around it. It's the story of Tish Harrison Warren. Uh, and she wrote a book called Liturgy of the Ordinary, which I've never read. You read that book? I have. It's fantastic. I've heard it's, it's so fantastic. Good. And uh, recently it came out that Amazon sold $240,000 worth of fakes Ugh. of the Liturgy of the Ordinary, the publisher said. So it was the CT Christian Today Book of the Year was targeted by a major counterfeiting scheme, and it seems to have worked. 
And I guess before we get into that, I didn't even know this was a thing. Like, did you even know that I, this thing happened? Nope, I really didn't. She loses a ton of money off of this, uh-huh. right? She didn't yeah. get any royalties off of this. And so there's, yeah, I just, uh, it estimates at 15,000, University Press estimates at 15,000 counterfeit copies of Liturgy of the Ordinary is sold on the site over the past nine months, Amazon site, retail valuing of $240,000 that nearly cut sales of Warren's book in half. Ugh. IVP reported 23,000 legitimate copies were sold over the past year. They also found evidence of the counterfeiting on a smaller scale of one other title, Michael Reeves' Delighting in the Trinity, which came out in 2002. Like, I don't... I don't even know what to do with this. Like, hopefully people are going to try to figure out a way to get her the money that she lost here. Uh, but man, I, it's another example that, that there's like scams out there and schemes. Sometimes I feel so naive. Like I read this. I'm like, that's a thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you thought about the first time you read it. Well, it was really heartbreaking, not just because I had already read the book. So you feel like you have some kindred relationship with the author even though you don't uh, i have a number of friends that have or do work for ivp and i really appreciate their work so like yeah. i felt more ingrained in it than i would otherwise but i'm i'm with you i read it thinking is this a thing and i did a little bit of research it is a thing and, and part of the article part of the reason i like the article is that it's kind of going after some of our conflicting ideals too because we do love convenience we love bargains and that's a lot of what's amazon right that's (laughs) a lot of what's gotten us to where we're at now and i think sometimes it does i don't know i i wonder if this was like the inevitable place for us to end up with our hyper obsession with these things with bargains and convenience and ease and access and it doesn't make it any less heartbreaking for me but it does make me wonder like okay have how have we as a culture contributed to these things being more viable, uh, more pervasive? I don't really know the answer to that, but I I do always kind of want to I want to try to drill beneath the surface a little bit and say like what are the things? What are the steps prior to this that could have been or should have been warning signs that we weren't paying attention to, or or maybe where does the future of this go? Do do, do we see an increase in the, these kind of things happening ten fifteen years from now, or do we nip it in the bud and we say hey that's this is you know, this is immoral. This is unethical. We're going to take care of this. I don't, I don't really know. I don't know either. And apparently Amazon has kind of come back and said that, yes, this is too bad, but, but basically they've spent $400 million in tools built uh, to kind of stop this sort of stuff. And uh, man, it does. There is this scary world that I feel like is growing and growing and growing right now of like, like we're really close Did you and I talk about this the other day where we're really close or we are at the spot where like people can make fake videos like of politicians saying things. Oh, yeah, for that sure. Aren't even based at all in truth and right. completely counterfeit. Totally. And, like we're living in a world where we're increasingly living in a world that I don't know that we're going to know what's real and what's not. And that's just that's dizzying to even think about that, that the, the lack of rootedness there. Well, and that's a lot of what I liked what you just said about rootedness, too, because I feel like in some ways that's a lot of what we're trying to champion on this show is like, hey, let's hit pause long enough to ask what's really going on here. This story is a little bit outside of that realm, but to say, you know, cause it's so, it's so easy just to believe whatever's first. Right. And I think a lot of, um, a lot of people on social media, that is sort of their mantra. Doesn't have to be right. Just has to be first. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if the video is doctored or if the tweet is out of context or whatever it is. Um, if I can get enough clicks, the ends justify the means. And I think that's a really yep. uh, dangerous, unhealthy 
precedent to be setting. And so how can we as Christ followers be leading the way and saying, this isn't okay. Stand up for, uh, you know, these, these immoral, unethical behaviors, but also to say, I need to model that as well and not share that video or that article without doing my research and finding out, did he really say that? Yes. Did she really go there? Cause the temptation is you read something that you were already predisposed to like, and you're like, yep, share it. Let's get some, let's get the word out. And you, it's embarrassing to find out after the fact, like, Oh, I didn't actually have the whole picture. Like what are the microwaves that, that we're doing this and perpetuating that, that we need yeah. to be mindful of. And it feels like, uh, you know, we as Christians, we need to most value the truth and most value. And, and I do, especially this is off the topic of Amazon, but I feel like in our political world, uh, increasingly with people yelling from both sides of the aisle that we don't necessarily value what's true. We value what's inflammatory and kind of mm. takes down the other side. And man, do we need to be careful about that? If 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 you have bought her book off of Amazon uh, they give some ways you can Google or call Amazon and find ways. What they're encouraging is to return the book, get a refund and buy a real one. Yeah. Cause right. this is real money for an author, right? Like absolutely. This is, this is, they say that she lost half of her revenue possibly in this. So this isn't a nuisance. Uh, this is a big deal. And so we'd encourage you to go to those links if you've purchased the book recently. Yeah. Let me just end with this too, because in her book, uh, she actually references a broader issue with commodification. Wow. She says she sees capitalism distancing buyers from the source of a product and thus promoting a consumer mentality. And this quote that she wrote in this actual book, which is so prophetic, she said, uh, with this anonymity comes ingratitude and with anonymity and ingratitude comes injustice. Crazy. Right? It's almost like they went after her book for that. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> well, coming up next, we're going to talk about uh, this question, what Christianity teaches about politics. That should be a fun discussion. Coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We are glad that you're joining us. Uh, it's hot outside today. Oh my gosh! Did you notice that today? Ninety degrees. I, I did notice a little 97. bit. <laughs> it's like an oven. It was like an oven. I also wear just my thickest jeans, <laughs> which is a sentence that makes me uncomfortable now that I've said it out loud. But I walked outside. I was like, "Why? Why? Why, did I do this? Why do we live here?" Uh, you can follow us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. You can text us at six eight six eight three. Uh, find the podcast wherever you find your podcast, and you could call us three one two six six zero two five nine four. That's 312-660-2594. Before we jump into this article about politics, yeah. this discussion. <laughs> it's, a good, uh, it's a good setup, by the way. Did you see uh, that alligator or the alligator-like creature, whatever it is, in Humble Park <laughs> Pond? Did you yes. See it? I love that some of them are like, they're like, not an alligator. It's alligator-like. Like They're like, okay, then what is it? And so if you haven't seen this. <laughs> Uh, you should be looking at. Uh, you can Google it, and it's uh, it's at uh, in the Humble Park and Gator. And so on Twitter right now, it's going wild trying to name this alligator. Right? Can I give you two of the leading candidates that I like fell over when I heard because they they got to be Chicago centric, right? They right. Chicago centric. Right. First one, Croc Obama. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Even for me, that's terrible. Well, then you're gonna hate the next one. I doubt it. Chance the Snapper? Yes, please. <laughs> Winner, Chance the Snapper, which is technically a turtle, though, right? Snapper turtle. I, but, like, you know. I get it. Yeah, that's I get good. Croc Obama <laughs> and Chance the Snapper. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's too good. Like, close the internet after that one. Like, yeah, those no, are so... 
I love, it. I love it. Well, so you can let us know what you think uh, would be a good one. Vote for one of those two. How's that sound? Six eight six eight three. I'm going to get somebody on this text line today. Six eight six eight three. Type are. in CG followed by the comment. And uh, so Pathios today, we came across an article called "What Christianity Teaches About Politics." And uh, I guess we're not surprised by this, but ever since we've started this show, you and I have talked a lot of politics. Probably more politics than I've ever talked about in my life. <laughs> oh, really? I'm not. It, just by and large, I'm not a hugely political person. Like, it, um, you know, I don't spend a lot of time watching things about politics and I know what's going on. But I feel like doing a radio show, we've had to kind of immerse ourselves into things. Uh, but you and I, I would say, feel more concerned about what is the church's role in this political climate? Yeah. How should Christians be reacting to this political climate? And also, I told you this, uh, I would say one of my most depressing days as a pastor where like I felt it was the day after the 2016 election it had mm. nothing to do with who won or who didn't win, but had everything to do with people's reactions and how much they cared compared to comparatively speaking to my perception of how much they care about the gospel or their faith. And I don't know why that weighed on me on that day, how they responded online or in person both. or both. Really? Both. You saw on both in both arenas. I think so. Behavior that you were not. Not happy about. Yeah, just and not even not happy, just the amount of care. Uh, and, and it happens at every election season. But obviously, it. the bigger the election, the bigger the care. And we should totally care. But yeah. I, I wanted to be like, hey, like this is not number one for us. And this is what I like about this article. Uh, it says this. We've been discussing different political ideologies, including debates between Christians. Uh, and so it references an article in Law and Liberty entitled Five Insights Christianity Brings to Politics. And I really enjoyed these because and you got to go to Law and Liberty and find this to get a greater kind of depth of these. But we're just going to run through them quickly. Uh, he, the article here lists them along with a very brief explanation. I think these do really well. This has to do with the Christian's right perspective towards politics. Yeah. And, man, I was really uh, I, I found myself excited about these. I also found myself going, well, this isn't uh, really how we often do. So the first one is this. The state is not divine. Hmm. The first element of a Christian vision of government is that the state is not divine. In fact, the whole idea of the limited state is intrinsically connected to the tr- Christian tradition. Why? Because Christianity desacralizes sacralizes like sacrament mm-hmm. uh, the state. The state no longer has a sacred character. What do you think of that? And how do we get that wrong sometimes? Yeah, I, I mean, I I probably shouldn't spend too much time talking about the ways that we get it wrong. <laughs> I'll be doing this show by myself tomorrow. <laughs> right, right. And we'll, we'll run out of time. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of times what in the subtle way that I see that played out is I think we see mandates given to the church that we just try to do our best to get the state to do. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean the state can't do some of those things, but yeah. it, you know, in a lot of ways, like the state can legislate how to provide a meal for someone, but it can't change a human heart, you yeah. know? And I think we, when we get those things out of whack, uh, and I want to be very careful to check my privilege in this regard too, because sometimes it can be easy to say, Oh, I don't want to, it's not for the, the state to figure that out or the local governments to figure that out. It's for the church to do that. But other people are feeling like, yeah, well there's a boot on my neck right now. So maybe, maybe deal with it at both yeah. levels is actually worth talking about. But the, the, the language of, the state not being divine is, I think, a really, really important one. Yep. Number two, the state is not the final arbiter of justice. The second main element and a related one is that the state is not the final arbiter of justice. The state is bound by the same moral laws 
as individuals. I feel like you just kind of touched on that, that ultimately we don't look to the state, to government, to solve all the problems. In many ways, the church has been called to step into the pain and, and provide justice. Yeah, and I wonder if this, you know, it doesn't inform the way that we talk about the death penalty and some mm-hmm. of those other things when we talk about, you know, kind of the finality of some of these acts of justice. Yep. Um, what does that look like? Yep. Number three, my favorite one. <laughs> it just says the common good. Oh. And that doesn't say on AM 1160, which I'm... I'm oh, it's not about our about. show. Okay, Maybe it is. <laughs> the third major element of a Christian vision of government is the commitment to the common good. The common good consists of the political and the social conditions that enable individuals, families, and communities to, quote, reach their fulfillment. So this concept that we don't look to government to just provide for us, but, but that there's this idea of the common good. Yeah, and I think it's also, that's such a good nod for the church to pick up on too because so often the the sentiment is we'll care for you once you've signed on the bottom line yep. or once you're like in our team or part of our tribe and i think to be like common good christians means man when we see suffering or injustice regardless of who's on the other receiving end of it uh as jesus people we forfeit neutrality in the face of injustice we step in yep quickly the last two a community of communities uh, the importance of family and a rich and varied civil society. Yeah, I'm all for that. And let's jump to number five. Uh, you and I both, I don't want to jump past number four because I feel like that's at the heartbeat of, kind of what we talk about here. Yes, the, right. The importance of the church community and the small group community of the family of the neighborhood and that that is where real change happens. Mm. So, uh, but number five, a naturally anti-utopian Creed. One of the most important elements of the Christian vision of government is anti-utopianism. Basically this, that if we just get government right, we're going to have utopia. No, no, we're looking for that. <laughs> There's sin and brokenness in this world. There yeah, always will be. Right. Our quote unquote utopia is altogether different. Which is not to say that we don't still pass laws and fight for causes that we think Correct. are really important and save lives and, and, and protect human dignity. Like, I think that's where it starts to get messy because sometimes correct. the despondency is the is the other end of the spectrum where we say, well, hey, this world is not my home, so we're not even going to try. Yep. Like, well, yep. there's all sorts of like brokenness and abuse and exploitation all around us. Does the church have anything to offer local states and governments? And, and I think it does. But I think when we confuse the role and function, that's where it gets messy. Yeah, and I think that's where it, why we wanted to read this list is because as Christians, we need to get the role and function and importance in our lives of government right. Yeah. And so much of government... Uh, Trumps, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> nice. Everything that we, uh, it's like it, it, it's it's the primary. It, it becomes prime. We would never say that. Most Christians would never say that, but we act like it. Like it's where our, most of our energy goes. The things we think about, the things we read, and and that's dangerous. Just look at your Facebook feed, your Twitter feed, and uh, we need to get it right. That ultimately, for the Christian, the government is important. Uh, but not ultimate. So how do you wrestle with that personally when thinking through, okay, so I feel passionately about this thing, but I also feel like maybe our church isn't participating to the level that I think it should. Like, how no. do you wait? Cause you're the lead pastor. So mm-hmm. your role is a little different than just, I'm a Christ follower and I'm a part of a church community. Like you have responsibility authority. And I imagine sometimes the stress of, of having to walk that line of, do I speak out against this one? Is this the one I speak yeah. out against? Or is this the one that I say, Hey, we need to, hunker down, uh, you know, full of common grace or no common grace. Like yeah. is, is culture worth engaging at all? Or do we just say, Hey, we're about saving souls. And so we, we don't even worry about trying to 
reform any of yeah. these systems. How do you walk that line? I don't, not sure that I walk it well because I think it's a whole nother topic. I think I can be fear driven. And so it's like, I don't want to wade in those waters at all. Oh, I will say the day after the 2016 election that I just referenced is the longest email I ever wrote to our church and probably the most pastoral email I ever wrote to our church. Can we hear that on the show sometime? I'll bring it to you. Yeah. Really? I gotta be honest. I think it was pretty well written. <laughs> I would honestly, so people I've, pushed back on both sides, which yes. made me feel good. And it was, the, it was, it was to be from a pastoral bent. Like, this is what I want. Let's do that. Let's, let's hear that I'll later on the show I can sometime. find it and, I'll, love and I'll bring it for you. So, well, we're glad you're joining us on this swelteringly hot day, <laughs> on this swelteringly hot Wednesday here in the Chicagoland. Uh, coming up next, uh, we're going to uh, talk about this. How maintainers, not innovators, make the world turn. Coming up next on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're glad that you're joining us today. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. And a little, uh, little fun thing at the, at the Facebook page today <laughs> is Facebook Live. We are on Facebook Live. <laughs> like I got really like, a little... Uh, little uh, I like can't your, think of the word. It's like your, your, it's like your politician <laughs> hand. Like, uh, and a little fun thing over at the Facebooks. And so uh, if you go to our Facebook page, that being The Common Good Radio Show, you can... Uh, see us on Facebook Live right now, which is always fun for us to do. You can find our podcast wherever it is. You get your podcast, Google Play, uh, Apple Podcast, uh, and uh, you can uh, subscribe, rate, review, and we'd be glad to have you join us that way as well. Uh, before moving into this one, I would be remiss not to wish my parents a happy 48th wedding anniversary. Good man. See, now I don't, now I don't have to get them a gift. <laughs> I said happy anniversary on the on the you, radio. You just undercut the whole sweetness of that moment. Oh, listen to that. Good job, John. There you go. What is what did he just play? The cheering. Like clapping for them. Or for it's, me. It's, for I was gonna say it sounded like rain. That's no, how- <laughs> forty eight years, which man, that sounds like a long time. That's good. But happy anniversary, mom and dad. Glad uh, looking forward to celebrating with you. And uh let's get them on the show. Not gonna happen. Come on. <laughs> All right, well that is, one day. I'm gonna call on myself. That is not gonna happen. But uh we're happy anniversary to uh, to them. So again, you can follow us on Facebook Live at the Common Good Radio Show. Uh, you can also text us at 68683. That's 68683. Uh, type in CG followed by your comment. Well, at a site that you found called CityLab.com, mm-hmm. uh, here's the article, and it's got a little bit of play on our Facebook page. Some people disagreeing with the premise of it. Uh, how maintainers, not innovators, make the world turn and it, the the line underneath it says this we need more stories about the labor that sustains society a group of scholars say so what's kind of the premise behind this and then uh curious if you agree with them or uh if you agree with some of the pushback we're getting on it so some of the premise uh, actually i'll just read the introduction because i think it's really well said uh, new technologies and their inventors are often celebrated as society's heroes steve jobs bill gates elon musk larry page these are all contemporary, quote, innovators who visionary ideas and creative leaps led to disruptive realities. That is, if you buy the rhetoric of certain books and novelty-oriented publications, uh, it's something that you and I have talked a lot about in the ministry realm, how sometimes it can feel a little disjointed mm-hmm. when you're in an 80,000-person arena listening to a pastor or an author say, hey, pay attention to the little things. <laughs> yes. And you're up in the nosebleed and you're like, well, that's easy for you to say, man. You yep. got eight best-selling books. Of, you know, like that to me, sometimes we talk about, especially in Christian circles, the importance of like 
and Jesus came not to be served, but to serve like the first shall be last. All of this stuff that I think is really important and central to our doctrine. And yet it is infused with this highly uh, like success driven um, face on the billboard yep. type of I'm going to make it. And it's, and, you know, and I've had other stories with other pastors that have really looked at their own lives like they've failed because they don't have a mega yeah. church yet, which I, that's a whole other segment that like breaks my heart. But yep. I, I wonder how much of like our Christianity, our theology has been infused with a um, any anyone can be a superstar. In fact, everyone should be mentality. Mm-hmm. And part of what this article is kind of asserting is that the people that really keep society like functioning and moving and caring for people are the names and faces of people that you'll probably never actually know. And we need to start celebrating them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not saying we don't need innovators. I think we right, always right. celebrate the innovator. We always celebrate the, the creator, the f- upfront person, the person who has created something. It's these maintainers who are often in the background and not celebrated or not even recognized and taken for granted. Right. And I think what this article is trying to tell us is you take them for granted until they're not there. Hmm. And when they're not there, and I think you said it as a culture, as a society, but also as churches, as businesses, it's, um, you know, in the business world, they'll often say things like it's the little people, right? It's it's those people without the titles who kind of make things run. And obviously you need both, right? The, uh, Apple needed Steve Jobs and Microsoft needed or needs uh, Bill Gates or yeah. whatever else. Uh, but it's saying that sometimes... And we do this in the church world. It's all about, like you said, the uh, the upfront person, the face on the billboard or or the communicator. And you forget all of the work that's going on to make things happen. Uh, and so I think what really this article is trying to do is, is like, say, uh, they're both important, but we really give little importance to one and we really elevate the other. Yeah, I, I love what uh, what Isaiah actually said uh, on our Facebook post the from this earlier. Of, the book of Isaiah. I love what the book of Isaiah <laughs> the says. Isaiah. No, nope, I'm not. That guy. Do you ever it's total sidebar? People are like, hey, where in Isaiah did he say this? And you're like. I don't know. No clue. It's a really big <laughs> book. No. On the Facebook page, uh, Isaiah said, yep, innovation is in the moment and can be fleeting. Maintainers keep it going. It reminds me of the church. For example, church planners start and pastors maintain. But then my buddy Ryan commented, he says, it seems unnecessarily divisive. A thriving society needs both. Yep. They both have points. The problem, and I even just had this knee jerk reading this. He said, church planners start, but pastors maintain Part of the struggle, I think, is don't you feel like maintain feels like a dirty word? Mm-hmm. Oh, we're not just going to maintain. We're about moving ex- forward, explosive forward. growth, yeah, innovation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why do you think the word maintain um, has such a negative connotation in our culture for the most part? Yeah, I think because uh, what's the old saying, right? If you're not moving forward, you're you're moving back. If you're not growing, you're dying. These types of things, right? And, right. And so, just the concept of maintaining, I think, will. Uh, it, it kind of tells us uh, you're not really trying. You're not really going when in reality, oh, okay. the systems that are set up need maintaining everything from like, I think of my own church, right? Like uh, this is a really simple one, but there are people from the church who come in and clean because we don't have the budget money to pay for totally. clean. They come in and clean. If they didn't do that for a month, two months, right. three months, place will crumble. Yeah, they're the heroes, exactly, right? Exactly, but but you get the microphone every Sunday, exactly. so people and so, flock to you, and they send you the emails. And so and, therefore, if the person with the microphone doesn't actually remember to ever say, "Hey, we've got the," they never. Yeah, and a lot of right. the irony is a lot of the maintainers don't want to be thanked. That's but they right. Still need to be thanked. That's right. And maybe it's not from the front. Hey, come on up here. Like maybe it's 
it's like a simple note or a thank you. But mm. but we so easily forget the maintainers and maybe there just needs to be a better word than a maintainer. Mm. Uh, but it's like there is this whole crew of people, churches, businesses, culture who make things happen. Yeah. Uh, but really behind the scenes. And, and it's always the kind of upfront people that get all the glory. And uh, those people are needed, too. We're not saying one's needed over the other. But right. like I said before, only one of them's usually forgotten. I think we have a bit of a glory obsession, though. Yeah. Can I just say it that way? Like, I think even t- I think back to the movie uh, Office Space. I thought you say glory. No, not. <laughs> yeah. What's the word? What's that? It's glory. No, in Office Space, he asks the question, what would you do with a million dollars? You know, and one of the guys says it's actually not a great question because nobody would say, oh, if I had a million dollars, I would become a janitor or I would become a construction Mm -hmm. worker because, um, you know, we all think that if we had a million dollars, we'd be doing this other thing, which I can see why that's why that's often like a commencement speech type of question, you know, to reach for the stars. And I think that's great. I think it's led to some really beautiful, wonderful innovation. I also know, like you said, uh, on any given Sunday, there's a team of dozens upon dozens of wonderful, beautiful people who make the whole thing happen. And it actually sometimes feels almost unfair that I get a microphone and I'm trying to always do the best I can to like always be, you know, pointing to other people that maybe they're, they're not aware of. In fact, at at Poplar Creek, we used to begin every staff meeting by nominating a couple of people. And then we'd all write thank you cards to them. Mm. And we just spend the first 15 minutes writing out, not just thanks, but like actual, I mean, you did this. We noticed that. And the irony for me was that it took 10 minutes out of our staff meeting. And half the time, those people, once they, once they got the card, they come up to me with like tears in their eyes. Wow. Thank you so much for the card. And in my head, I'm like, you sacrificed 90 hours of your life during VBS prep. Yeah. We, we spent 10 minutes just thanking you, just acknowledging you. And that's when I began to realize how big the disparity is between like who we celebrate and yes. how we celebrate them. And I think the church has got to be leading the way in this regard. Yeah. And so I think that's a really good amount. I'm going to take that one. We're going to use that one. But I, I think that the, the comments on the Facebook page and other places are right. I think you need both of them. The, the, the one that takes energy and some thought, some creativity, like you're saying, is to acknowledge and thank the maintainers because those are naturally just by position or right. the behind the scenes people. But without those behind the scenes people, these things, they all crumble. And maybe elevating the word maintain, right? Absolutely. Maybe we're responsible, especially people with microphones to say, hey, like what you were saying, often the word maintain is associated with a lack of effort or lack of energy. Let's let's reclaim that word. Yeah. Say, hey, without these things happening, all of this starts to crumble. And I think it is sort of the responsibility with some of the people that have the upfront roles to constantly be pointing to the teams that are making it happen. Dave Ferguson writes all the time about hero making, hero right? Making, like yep. be, be the platform, not, not the hero. That's good. That's good. Well, coming up next, uh, this is going to be one that we'll tackle as pastors. I think that we'll have a, uh, it, it will hit close to home. It's this issue out of Tennessee where they've tried to ban online ordination for weddings. Oh. And, uh, and all that comes with that. That's what we're going to talk about next here on the common good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're excited to have you join us today. You can also join us on Facebook Live right now at The Common Good Radio Show. The Common Good Radio Show. You hop on right there and people aren't making fun of me. I'm enjoying it. They aren't making fun of you? They are. Just one person in particular is making fun of you. I feel like it's going to snowball here very soon. See, I don't think so. I think it's actually going to snowball to an evening of compliments for Brian Fromm. (laughs) That's my guess. That's where I think this is going to go. Snowball to an evening of compliments. I like that. All right. Get on there, people. I played bass in evening of compliments. <laughs> nah, 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 sorry. 
<laughs> you can also text us at 68683, type in CG, followed by your comment. You can call us at 312-660-2594. That is 312-660-2594. Get our podcast also wherever it is you get your podcast. Just search for The Common Good and you can find us there. Well, you and I have talked before. One of the things I love to do uh, as a pastor is a wedding. And uh, here, here's a strange question that most people might not even think about. But uh, this comes out of a conversation I had with a different pastor one time. Uh, do you prefer to do weddings or funerals? Well, that is a very weird question. Isn't it? But I'm, uh, there's a story behind this. Which is your preference? Um, it's closer than you might think. Uh, but I still think I prefer weddings. Yeah. So yeah. I'm a wedding guy. I, okay. like, I like the celebration and this and that. Right. This other pastor close to me. Uh, was total funeral guy, <laughs> total funeral guy. Like is a he phrase talked I've never about heard. like like the, the being in there in that moment. It was more kind of a holy moment. It was it was interesting, and he's just not like the yeah hello love. <laughs> he's not into love. Is that can you say this guy's name over the air? Is it best not to? <laughs> if he's listening, he's he just knows. not really. <laughs> he's like that's if, me. If he's listening, if you're listening guy. out there, it is you. Yes, it is. That's funny though. I do. I get what I, I do. Sometimes wonder if we we've made holy and somber synonymous. Right. I think celebration is as holy as anything. He would never say what I, just I know said for him. But. And I'm sort of just speaking anecdotally because yep. it does sometimes feel like oh this one's fun. This one's holy. Why is holy not yep. also like, honestly, before we even dive into this, how many weddings have you gone to that actually felt more like funerals? Like where you're sitting in the pew and you're like, why? I thought we were celebrating something really beautiful here. Yep. Why does everyone seem so sad? Yeah, they're like talking hushed tones. Like, Hey, Hey, how are you? This is fantastic. <laughs> Let's celebrate. I always tell couples too, like, Hey, I will tell you all the guests. This is as much a celebration as the actual ceremony or as the actual reception. I yep. think that's so I think it, we miss that sometimes. I usually tell them during the ceremony, I go, this is as good as it's going to get. I'm just <laughs> Smart. I'd love to see your kidding. notes. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see your notes. Uh, yeah, I'd like to depress you right now. But <laughs> anyway, one of the things that has been on the rise over the last couple decades is like, I don't know if you feel like this, even in the time that I've been a pastor and been doing weddings, weddings are just different. Like, I can't think of the last wedding I did in a church. The weddings are always outside or they're like in a barn or they're in here with an outdoor uh, ceremony. I got married in a barn. Did you really? Uh-huh. I really was like, oh, that's a weird one. I just threw up barn. <laughs> no, it was, it was beautiful. My wife picked it out. It was That's great. Wonderful. Everyone, I have actually done one or two in a barn and they're gorgeous the way they get set up. Uh, but I don't do them very often in, in churches anymore. But the bigger deal is, and... uh I think I know where this started, but people are like having their friends just get ordained online. Yeah. And uh, often now you hear that happening. Do you want to know where I think that started? Where? Friends. Joey got online ordained to marry Chandler and Monica. It always comes back to friends, doesn't I, it? Usually Seinfeld or The Office. That's but true. I think that that's where it happened. But um, but the, the state of Tennessee with lay officiants, it says on the rise, Tennessee tried to ban uh, online ordination. Uh, but then it says after a religious freedom lawsuit, a federal judge this week blocked Tennessee's new ban on online ordin- ordination for wedding officiants, citing, quote, serious constitutional issues. The Universal Life Church Monastery, a top do- destination for giving friends and family credentials to perform ceremonies, had sued Tennessee over the policy, which it said grants a preference to certain religions and burdens its members free exercise 
of religion. So Tennessee itself tried to say, no, we're, which feels like a weird step by the state. Weird flex. It is. (laughs) It is like I've heard Tennessee is often called the the buckle of the Bible belt. Right. Um, But a weird move. And then the article goes on to say this is in Christianity Today. If you want to read the whole article written on July 5th, that other states have tried to do this. Uh, but it says some Christian leaders have questioned whether the church should be part of civil ceremony at all. About a quarter of pastors and a third of Americans said clergy should no longer be involved in state marriage licensing in a Lifeway religious poll. So all that to say, there is this kind of change going on in our culture that the the joke of it kind of is like, oh, yeah, online ordination, getting your buddy. But I do feel like it's interesting. We talked about like kind of holiness and gravity before, like. Mm. A generation or two ago, it was never even a thought not to have a pastor and not to get married in a church. And there's something different. There's been some sort of shift in our culture that I don't want to undersell, but I also don't want to oversell. Hmm. Uh, So this article is kind of funny. Like to me, the law is kind of funny and unnecessary. But Hmm. there is I was talking about this with a pastor friend of mine the other day. Like weddings are just different now. Yeah, they're different. I don't know what's behind that. What are your thoughts? Uh, so one of the things that I appreciate about community is that, um, your church, community yeah, community, my church. church, right. So we like most, all of our staff are ordained and mm-hmm. we do the best we can to like equip them. And a lot of them are ordained and they have no interest in officiating a wedding, you yep. know, like some of that's just a wiring thing. Um, but I also wonder, and maybe, I think maybe I'm just too much of an evangelist because this whole idea, like dad, don't be involved in just these civil gatherings. I'm like, yeah. Are you given an opportunity to proclaim the gospel? Yes. Take it. Like people will say like, well, they're not taking it seriously enough. Then help them see that then. Like you take it seriously. This, right. Yeah. This opting out because the people don't get it uh, to me feels so backwards. I don't mean to belittle that conviction about like keeping the sacrament in a way that's really, you know, honoring and faithful to, to what it is intended to be. I think that's absolutely important. And, and that's part of what I love about weddings is you get to like really help clarify and frame what what is happening here? Yes. Um, but I, you know, I've done weddings. I did a wedding where they brought in four thousand pounds of sand and dumped it in their backyard because they wanted a beach wedding but couldn't afford the tickets. It's awesome. Like, can you just roll up some khaki pants and we're gonna have some bush light in the cooler? And you're like, Shh. can I proclaim the gospel? Can I like make? Can I make it crystal clear like who Jesus is and why He cares about us? Can I talk about marriage being like a glimpse of God's love for us because His love's not earned or bought? Mm. Like it's. It, to me, it's just too much of an opportunity, and I think, I don't know, not to oversell it, I guess, but it feels like Jesus was often spending time in circles and environments where like, the religious elite were baffled that he would even go to because he's proclaiming good news. Yeah. He's setting captives free. He's healing the sick. Like, But he's doing this in ways where I think the, you know, the, the, the buttoned-up religious types were like, oh... See, that's yeah. that's why that's why he's not legitimate because he's hanging out in those areas they're not supposed to go. Sometimes this argument feels like that to me, but I also know like I remember uh, in 2007, I think July 7th landed on a Saturday. So it was 777 and there was like a record number of weddings that day. So okay. this guy, uh, he owns rentarev.com and he did like 14 weddings in a day, uh, but he also does comedy and bar mitzvahs and you know what I mean like that to me is where it starts to go a little like uh, okay, Maybe maybe we're not honoring what this was supposed to be, but I don't know. I did know of somebody who had an online wedding business that like their name, they had done all the work so that their name was the first one to come up. If you just Google, um, like, oh, I need a wedding efficient. Yeah. Uh, charged exorbitant amount of money. Really? And made like six figures. No kidding. It's crazy, man. Yeah, that should be another segment because I, I would love to talk about that. It was crazy. And so, 
Um, yeah, it's just interesting to me, like just the shift in the view of weddings. But I'm like you, man, I will. I I, I have a pretty large tent for join, getting involved in a marriage ceremony or a funeral. Right. Like just Same. being in yes, those moments. Totally. Uh, what, what an open is, door. It really is. Uh, it really is. Well, coming up next, uh, we're going to talk about a topic we like to do. So around here, the kind of the, the value and the image of God in every person uh, talked about in this headline, making eye contact with homeless people is important. Going to yeah. be uh, going to be an interesting conversation right there around the image of God. Uh, and we would love to hear back from you. You can do that at Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. We're doing Facebook Live today, and we'd love to have you join the conversation. Free and Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. This is The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We are excited to have you join us today uh, on this Wednesday afternoon. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. And today, as an added bonus, we are going Facebook Live. Woo! Uh, which, uh, you know, someone has already referred to my white legs. So, you know, you get, that's what you get at Facebook Live, people. <laughs> yeah, you're really selling it right now. You, you, you met our producer who, who bent over and talked to you all like you're little children. And uh, we looked at Ian's dirty mug uh, that he drinks out of every day. So Not dirty. <laughs> I wash it most days. Wait, what was the comment you mo- you just made? It's water. So it's basically being washed it's while being I drink washed it. right now. Yeah, the act of drinking out of it is washing it. That's, that holds I, I up, right? I don't think that's the way it works but i'm gonna go with it i'm gonna be i'm gonna be okay with that and uh but we'd love to have you join us that's at the common good radio show and uh you can also follow us online at 1160hope.com there you can find old shows you can also subscribe to our podcast that's the common good and uh we ask you to subscribe rate review and uh there you can listen to old shows we actually know a lot of people who don't listen to us on the radio they listen to us by podcast and we've often joked that they listen to us really fast like <laughs> double the speed just to get it over it's with. not so, a joke it's re- people are really doing it yeah you ever listen to anything on double speed i tried it once and i had an aneurysm i can't <laughs> it's too much for me i can't do it like it, it gave me anxiety i was driving i was like stop i can't it's too much i had an aneurysm <laughs> i didn't really okay i should be i didn't no, really I have it. you didn't okay just want to be clear <laughs> it's like those it's like those tv those uh cartoons where supposedly if you watch them they go so fast like it gives you a seizure like it's one of those it's seriously how it felt i don't know how people actually especially if you're listening to actually absorb the content like it's a really you know if it's a lecture or something like that but i think it says something about them people say people say you get used to it I guess, but I think yeah, I think it says something about them. Uh, that was that was a big painting with a broad brush right there. But. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So at uh, a website that you found called InvisiblePeople.tv, which is a fascinating Titan name for a website. Yeah. Uh, the title says this: "Making eye contact with homeless people is important. It's free and it makes a big difference." For everyone. So let me read some of the article. It's something you take for granted every day, connecting with people during a conversation, meeting their eyes and feeling seen. 
For you, it probably happens dozens of times a day, but for people living on the street, it's a rare occurrence. More often, people shuffle by quickly, looking absolutely anywhere but at the invisible person they've chosen to ignore. It's a common behavior, but what's strange is the number of people who don't fully realize what they're doing. Stranger still is the people who think the other person won't notice they're being ignored. And the, and the, the article continues to go on about the importance of eye contact and being seen and how homeless people are just looked past and what that must do uh, to their self-image and their self-esteem. So I guess I would ask you before diving into the, the meat uh, of this is if you haven't been on our uh, listened to our show in the past, Ian has multiple times shared that he went and lived homeless for a weekend, a week, a week, yeah. a week by choice yeah. in Philadelphia and uh, curious if this is what you found. Yeah, it actually was um, It was very odd reading this article because I remembered a conversation that I had during that week that I had forgotten because I had shared, I think maybe in the previous segment that I talked about it, how surprised I was by how de- dehumanizing it felt to actually notice people like dart their eyes away from you or to clutch their purse tighter or to mm. literally walk on the other side of the road. I kind of thought I wouldn't notice it. Yep. And you notice all of it. And again, I'm talking about, I was just there for a week. So after a couple of days of this, um, it was like, I felt like it was doing something to my heart that I really? wasn't prepared for. And I was asking the guy that we both were s- sleeping under the same overpass who had been homeless for like 20 years. And I, I kind of brought it up and he he did what a lot of us do when we're uncomfortable. He just sort of laughed. He's like, ah, well, you know, you get used to it. Really? And I remember, I remember like it was yesterday now, how much I didn't believe that he got used to it. Like how much it felt like he was saying to me without really saying it, like, yes. And every single time somebody darts their eyes away, or they walk to the side of the road, it's like chipping away something at me. And it was, it was a very eye opening moment for me because I'd never been on the other side of it. I'd never actually experienced. I mean, we all experienced being bullied and being ridiculed and being ignored at some social level, but like person after person after person, speeding up or, you know, all those little things that like many of us maybe do without thinking about it, like grabbing their kid's hand. Gosh, seriously, not to be overly dramatic. I'm telling you in the course of a couple of days, it affected me. And I thought, how do I multiply a couple of days of this and then match it out to 20 years? And and even how do I even wrap my brain around what that must do to the human heart? You know, so I think I know the answer to this question, but I'd ask you as one who has experienced it. uh, Why do you think that's people's net? I mean, that's clearly a, Almost it, almost an involuntary reaction. It sounds like yeah. if everybody's doing it. Yeah. Uh, is that uncomfortability? Is it just, uh, yeah. What is it? What's behind the fact that people literally won't look at people? I think, think it's, I think it's any list of things. I think the answers are as diverse as people are. So I don't want to, I don't want to paint with a, a broad stroke, but like you, you talk about it being sort of a knee jerk. I think it has to do with unintentionality. I think we, because we don't think about how to be better at it or, Maybe even more importantly, we don't think it's actually an issue like me not making eye contact with someone on the subway or waiting in line at Starbucks. That's probably not nearly to the level of dehumanization that it feels like to someone who's panhandling for their next meal. And I think because it's not our experience, it's kind of the nature and definition of empathy. Like because I'm not in the pit with you, I don't actually really know what I'm doing to you or how that's responding. In fact, can I just read a couple of things in this article? Absolutely. I think this helps frame it a little bit. Um, it says you can't really appreciate the scale of the problem unless you experience it yourself. But most people behave exactly the same way. And the effect is cumulative. 
When you engage with someone, even in the most basic way, like making eye contact, you acknowledge your shared humanity. This is what makes the lack of eye contact so dehumanizing. But giving it also requires something of the giver. It forces you to confront the fact that the person you're seeing is a fellow human in a painful situation which can trigger your own painful feelings. You also must acknowledge the broader societal problems that have put this person in this current situation. Uh, so there's a lot going on. I don't know that maybe necessarily people are thinking through all of those levels, but you and I know this as pastors, that sometimes to really be present in someone else's pain is to make yourself vulnerable to your own. Yeah, And it's so much easier to just slap a Bible verse on it, right? <laughs> or to give them a pat on the back and say, you can only go up from here. You know what I mean? Like, I think this has more to do with our our own inability to engage with our own pain. And it kind of ends with this. It says, the only cure for ignorance is experience. Experience is what breeds understanding. And if you want to fight homelessness in an effective way, you first need understanding. Mm. And I just don't know that everyone believes that or knows that. And we can often, I think, try to solve problems uh, divorced from having our heart involved. And I think that's problematic. Yeah. I think that if you think of all the phrases we use on this show, the most often, I think one near the top of that list is going to be this concept of the Imago Dei, uh, that all people are bearers of the image of God. Yeah. And that's where worth comes from for everybody, not from and that's bank accounts, men and women, black and white, all of that, right? all of it, not rich and poor for this uh, subject. Yeah. And I think that uh, the homeless uh, for a variety of reasons are the most um, it is most easy probably to not view them in that way. Yeah. And uh, that's even terrible to say, hmm. but I think that's where this is coming from. It's like, it's really hard to walk past a homeless person. Uh, this is why I have great admiration for what you did, but like, it's really hard to walk past a homeless person and not just not pity them, but feel like they're right. less than you. Honestly, I think even if it starts in the language of saying homeless person, is there a difference in saying homeless person versus someone who is homeless? Probably. Because sometimes I think when we say homeless person, the subtext is that's the sum of your identity. Mm-hmm. You are a homeless person. I don't ever call you a housed person. <laughs> oh, my friend Brian, the guy, the housed person, the homed person. You know what I mean? Like sometimes we, I think, without even knowing it, we yeah. identify people by... Their deficiencies or disabilities. It's interesting. And I think that has an impact. Huh. That's really interesting. And I think that, you know, uh, we, we, and we, we walk, and it's not just a city thing, right? Like I live in Downers Grove. I'll work in the library often. And there's, uh, that is a high concentration of homeless people in the library. And sometimes I, I catch myself cer- thinking certain things like, oh, mm. why are there so many, mm. Am I allowed to say this? Why are there so many of these people here? Sure. Or why are they this or that? And, and it I starts always, with acknowledging it, though, I right? I always it's, feel guilty about that, but there is something about value and and yeah. the image of God that I think is very easily lost when we uh, interact with people who are homeless. Yeah. Well, and that's why I think, and thanks for, thanks for catching that. I yeah, think that's how go. we start. Yeah. Honestly, and people may say, well, it doesn't really matter. Um, I think things like how we speak to people and about people. And so that's kind of the whole point of the article. Like, yeah. Hey, something as small as eye contact. Right. And it even goes on to say, Hey, even if eye contact still seems like too big a step, uh, we've archived a bunch of stories, read stories, because that's one of the things I experienced living on the streets was once I got into the stories, half the time I thought this could happen to anybody. Like I had a buddy who broke his arm. He was a laborer and it didn't heal. Right. So he lost his job and couldn't afford rent. And now he's homeless. Like no wow. drug abuse, no mental illness. And I think, the, th- the only difference there is that I have a societal structure that I did nothing to earn yeah. that would protect me from ever being homeless. I have a church family and a nuclear family. 
I I did zero to yeah. deserve that. Yeah. And and I think to 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 dive into the stories actually helps give us a lot more empathy and understanding. I was I always like your personal ability to reflect upon this from your own experience. And yeah, thanks, man. Um, you know, I'd encourage somebody else who could do that to go and and give that a try. It's it's really admirable. And uh, something to think about. Literally something as easy and as small as eye contact and uh, the difference it can make. Well, coming up next, we are going to jump into an article from The Atlantic that created quite a stir. uh, And it's entitled this, The Deepening Crisis in Evangelical Christianity. That's what we're going to tackle next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. I started dancing to that song and forgot that we were on Facebook Live today. Uh, just just let it loose, Brian Fromm. Let yeah. him see it. This is a regular dance party that goes on in here. Again, you can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, and uh, as a bonus, we are Facebook living on there today. And so you can see us there. Uh, also, is, is seeing us a bonus? Is that? Uh, yeah, I think it is. I don't know that the uh, it's a unanimous vote in that regard. <laughs> uh, you can text us at six eight six eight three. That's uh, six eight six eight three. Type in CG followed by your comment. You can also find our podcasts uh, at uh, Apple Play, Google Podcasts. I might have gotten that backwards. Google Play and Apple Podcasts. Either of them, any of them. And uh, old shows also at 1160hope.com. Well, out of the Atlantic, uh, theatlantic.com, and on, on the 4th of July, uh, they uh, put out a long article that has a lot of people talking. It's, it's entitled, The Deepening Crisis in Evangelical Christianity. Like, that's, a, that's just a title that packs a punch. So it says this, last week, Ralph Reed, the Faith and Freedom Coalition's founder and chairman, told the group there has never been anyone who has defended us and who has fought for us who we have loved more than Donald J. J. Trump. No one, he says emphatically. Reed is partially right. For many evangelical Christians, there's no political figure whom they have loved more than Donald Trump. Uh, And then he goes on to tell more and more stories. But uh, here's some of the kickers in here. Uh, He says the enthusiastic, uncritical embrace of President Trump by white evangelicals is among the most mind-blowing developments of the Trump era. Uh, and many white evangelical Christians then are deeply fearful of what a Trump loss would mean for America, American culture and American Christianity. Uh, and so this article, man, it just keeps going and going and going. Uh, and so he goes to this. There's a very high cost to our politics for celebrating the Trump style. But what is most personally painful to me, that's being the author as a person of the Christian faith is the cost to the Christian witness. And from there, he makes the turn that basically says, uh, the the wholehearted uh, evangelical support of President Trump is going to have uh, ramifications. You can decide if they're good or bad, but it's going to have shaping ramifications uh, to evangelicalism. Uh, he proposes for at least a generation. Hmm. Uh, and so, man, this article, like you read this, it was meeting my brother-in-law and I. We talked, we were out, we were in Wisconsin with him over the 4th of July. And this was one of the things we talked about for right. a while around the campfire. Uh, this Atlantic article, it is, I'd encourage everybody to read it and uh, you might see it as a good thing that this is the way that evangelicalism is going. This author is saying this is a very dangerous thing. Uh, this kind of um, embedding or, or this uh, coming together, this melding of uh, conservative politics spearheaded by Donald Trump and this kind of uh, support of particularly uh, white evangelicals. So let me let me just read kind of how the article ends, and then yep. I'll 
Give your thoughts. You have some thoughts. Get says, yourself fired. Yeah, I'll, yeah, right. The church is one uh, is in one of its deepest moments of crisis, not because of some election result or not, but because of what has been exposed to be the poverty of the American church and its capacity to be able to see and love and serve and engage in ways in which we simply fail to do. And that vocation is the vocation that must be recovered and must be made real in tangible action. There are countless examples of how such tangible action can be manifest. But as a starting point, evangelical Christians should acknowledge the profound damage that's being done to their movement by its braided political relationship, its love affair, I would say, uh, on both sides, right? Um, but in particular with, like you were saying, a, in some ways, a conservative politic that is um, aligning itself with some dangerous ways. Until that is undone, until followers of Jesus are once again willing to speak truth to power rather than act like court pastors, the hmm. crisis in American Christianity will only deepen. Its public testimony will only dim. Its effort to be a healing agent in a broken world only weakened. And so here's what I, I want to latch onto a strange part in that statement that I think might surprise you. I'm ready. Because it uh, juxtaposes speaking truth to power and being court pastors. And I was thinking about the prophetic, uh, the prophetic tradition, particularly in the Old Testament, and I think there really are two different kinds of prophets. There are wilderness prophets, mm-hmm. and those are the ones that we often see, they kind of go a little crazy, or they're often killed. There's a lot of theater, there's a lot of, it's yeah. very um, dramatic. But there are also uh, temple prophets, I think of like the interaction after, um, you know, David and Bathsheba when Nathan tells this parable and David gets all riled up and Nathan says, you're the guy. And I wonder if we, we only understand prophetic language, prophetic imagination in the wilderness and don't understand its capacity, at least to play devil's advocate, at least in some of the temple traditions. Is there, mm. is there a value to having a prophetic voice, a prophetic fire uh, and doing so from within a system. Is there is there value to that, or is it only stand in the wilderness, declare truth to power, and everyone else be damned? And I don't, I don't, I'm not quite sure what the answer. I is I think there certainly is value. I think there is value. To, I just to do, both. I do. I just think that what we're we're not seeing a lot of prophetic talking, like from within, right? Yeah. There seems to instead be that, and we've covered that we the, know of exactly, but we've covered the. The articles of the how many times have we talked about Jerry Falwell or we talked about Franklin yeah, Brand? Right. We talked about others, and equally on the other side. But right now, it is the Republicans that are in power, and that there seems to be. Can we just be really blunt? There seems to be a thirst for power within the the evangelical world right now that is causing, I think, from the outside to go, man, it really seems like that there is a compromising of beliefs going on right now, right, yeah. and a a hypocrisy. Uh, that is difficult. Like if there's if if you can't look at some of the actions of President Trump and say, well, no, that I agree with, but that I don't. That's dangerous. That's then then you you're probably not a you're not being prophetic, but you're certainly just not being honest. Yeah. Right. And um and the same thing happened, you know, in other presidencies, but this one is really stark because I think some of President Trump's uh, foibles, if you will, are, are pretty pronounced. Hmm. They're out there, Twitter and other ways. And because it is the it is the white evangelicals, uh, by and large, who are carrying him right now. And so I think people are struggling, myself included, are struggling with that juxtaposition. Like, wow, we've stood up for against so many things, but right now we're not. St- it just doesn't make sense. Well, I think part of what is worth talking about, maybe we dedicate more time to this later, is that there's a lot that is going very well in our country. hundred percent. So, so this isn't don't vote. I, I'm okay with people voting both sides sure. here. 
But anyway, keep going. Well, there's a, there's a quote that now feels a little more tainted given some recent news, but Martin Luther King Jr., uh, he said, uh, the means we use must be as pure as the ends we seek. Mm. Sort of saying integrity of means matters as much as integrity of ends. And what frustrates me sometimes is we will say, and we've talked about this at length before, where like, yeah, sure, he's a scumbag, but I think he stands for the policies. Or, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't really trust him, but I think the things that he'll support are the things that I, you know what I mean? Th- that, I hear that type of um, justification a lot, many many times from people that I care very deeply about, to be honest, 100%. and people that I think are very, very smart. So I do want to be very... And godly. Right, right. Yes. I want to make, I'm very passionate about um, calling out when people make sweeping statements that anyone... Who voted this way couldn't possibly love God on both sides of that. And we've talked about that at length this week. Um, so we got to be really careful there. But I think it is worth saying uh, wh- who we choose when the when we say when the when the flag and the cross hold hands. I think a younger generation in particular is is now becoming uh, com- completely um, appalled by that behavior and are choosing different avenues, which is unfortunate. And I think that's where this article lands that I want us all to wrestle with is what will the results be to the next generation? Yeah, right. What are the results going to be? Uh, and, and I think reasonable people can land on both sides of that. I, I have fear for where this is going and, uh, and what it means for the next generation of evangelicals. And, and we'd love to hear from you about that. We're going to post this article. Uh, I would, first of all, encourage you to read this article in the Atlantic. Uh, it's, yeah. it might, it might, you might find yourself yelling amen. You might find yourself really angry. Like yeah. it's, it's, there's nothing in the middle. There's no middle ground in this one. Mm. And so I'd encourage you to read it and uh, we'll have it up on our Facebook page and we would love for you to interact. We are heading into election season and this is only going to ramp up. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I'm excited to have the place to talk about it. Maybe read it and then find someone who disagrees with you and then have coffee with them. Oh, good idea. Right. Like I think that's the way forward. It's not just read it and then be outraged or be pleased. Like find someone Maybe someone you respect that, you know, felt completely differently about it and then spend some time figuring out why. I just think we need to do more of that. Absolutely. Well, coming up next, we are going to talk about a blog written by one of our favorite pastors, a guy by the name of Scott Sauls. And it's entitled this toward a truer Christianity, abandoning us against them. That's coming up next here on the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Uh, for our Facebook Live crew, I told them, I told them that he would, uh, he would start to dance when the music came back, and he is doing it. To call that dancing is very generous. You guys are going to want to get on Facebook Live no. and see that. There would, you go. I would not recommend it. It's good times. Well, you can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show online at 1160hope.com. You can text us. At 68683, that's 68683, and uh, type in CG followed by your comment, uh, and you can call us, that's 312-660-2594, that's 312-660-2594. Well, one of our favorite pastors that we talk about, uh, Twitter, blog, we still haven't gotten him on, like that's got to be our next move here, we, we give this guy so much free pub, <laughs> we love his blog, we love his Twitter uh, his name is Scott Sauls. He's a, a Presbyterian pastor down in Nashville, I believe, Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, he is a prolific writer. Some of the best books I've read in Christian formation as of late. And uh, he wrote a blog post at the end of June entitled Toward a Truer Christianity, Abandoning 
us against them. And I think this is such an important deal. Let me read to you the first paragraph. He says this. In my role as a so-called public Christian who leads a church and weighs in on the issues of our day through speaking, discourse, and writing, I'm eager to nurture environments in which people can openly disagree, but without the fear of being caricatured, labeled, or demonized. In other words, I am for disagreeing in an agreeable fashion. Hmm. I guess you could say that I'm a strong advocate of tolerance. Tim Keller says that tolerance, this is Saul still writing, does not require us to abandon our convictions. True tolerance, says Keller, is revealed by how our convic- how our convictions lead us to treat people who disagree with us. Tolerance that only tolerates people who think like us is not tolerance. Let's be honest. It is covert prejudice. It is a form of thinly veiled contempt. For the Christian witness to be taken seriously in an increasing pluralistic world, Sauls writes, secular non-religious environments such as the West, it is critical for Christians to learn and relearn the fine art of being able to, one, have integrity in your own convictions, two, genuinely love, listen to, and serve those who do not share our convictions, and three, be committed to both at the same time. Boom. Like that is so strong. And I want us to wrestle with those three because it's really just two. Yeah. And he says they seem to be at odds with each other, uh-huh. but they both need to be present for us to do this kind of truer Christianity he's talking about. Yeah. And he, he later quotes uh, a Harvard chaplain named Chris Stedman, who said the divide between Christians and atheists is deep. I'm dedicated to bridging that divide to working with atheists, Christians, and people of all different beliefs and backgrounds on building a more cooperative world. We have a lot of work to do, and my hope is to help foster better dialogue between Christians and atheists, and that together we can work to see a world in which people are able to have honest, challenging, and loving conversations across lines of difference, which I think we all, to some degree, want. So why do you think it's so rare? Like, I read that paragraph, and every word I'm like, yes, 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 of course, and every person that I meet wants that. Why does it seem so elusive to actually accomplish that? Because I wonder if what we think is if we agree with somebody or no, not agree, if we treat well, tolerate somebody that we fundamentally disagree with, that that means we're agreeing with them. Like we're kind of passively uh, saying, okay, and what they're saying or doing is okay, And that's not what Saul's is saying here. Right. It's not what Keller's saying here. Uh, we're, We're conflating kind of the argument or the disagreement with the being disagreeable or um, being able to be civil with people. And I think that's what he's getting at. He's saying uh, we we need to be able to have uh, we need to be able to have discussion, debate, disagreement without being outraged all the time and running to our camps uh, and what he calls just covert prejudice. If all that we ever uh, agree with or all that we show grace to are the people who are like us, that's that's not reminds me of Jesus's words, right? Even the devil does that. Yeah, right, right. He he goes on to say, do we realize how liberating and how Christ-like it is to enter discussions about culture's contested issues in a way that builds bridges instead of burning them? Can we see the rightness of inviting friends, colleagues, and neighbors to belong and journey with us before they believe with us? Can we see uh, to potential that there uh, the, that there is for fruit if we begin to embrace people before they agree with us, and whether they ever end up agreeing with us at all? Mm. And I think that I think of Peter and Paul who talk about the kinds of responses we give. Be prepared to give responses, but to do so with gentleness and respect, right? To to always to always be gracious to like yep. why would he bother including 
the methodology of how, if the whole point was just to be truthful, then it, there'd be no value in saying, Hey, building bridges matters, creating space for dialogue matters. Like if it's just about, Hey, you hold the truth. Now you've seen the risen Christ. Just go, just go say it. However you want to say it. However, it just comes out naturally and the gospel will go forth. Yes. Like there's all this instruction to be mindful of how we do it. And I don't know that you've ever had this experience before where like somebody online posts something really inflammatory and you're reading and thinking, I agree with your conclusion, but your methodology is so toxic. I want yes. to distance myself from it. And you're like, if I feel that way and I agree with you, how much, how much more hurtful, how much more damaging must that be for someone who's on the, on the receiving end of that? And yeah. I think we've, we just, we've got to do better. And I love this picture he paints here. Uh, he says this, um, one sign that Jesus is in our midst is that we have a quiet, settled belief that Jesus is the truth. Hmm. A byproduct of this quiet, settled belief is that when people walk away from us, they walk away sad because something in them wishes that it could all somehow be true for them. Yeah. <laughs> that they see something in us that says, I don't right now believe what you're saying or, or what you're preaching or what you, what you say you believe. But man, there's something about you that that I wish I had in my life. That feels so biblical. And so like we talk about evangelism all the time. I just love the way he puts that there, that they walk away sad because there's something in them that wishes what was going on in you was also going on in their life. Well, and the reason that he uses the word sad, the paragraph before he says, when the rich young ruler walked away, rejecting Jesus's offer to come follow him, Jesus looked at the man and loved him. And as the man walked away from Jesus... The man was sad, not angry or hostile or feeling judged. He was he was sad. Yeah. And if you remember, the story is he approached Jesus and says, I, I've done all the things I'm supposed to do. I've obeyed the commandments. And he says, what else must I do? As if to imply he's played by all the rules and yep. he still felt empty. He still knew something was missing. And Jesus says, man, you got to walk away from it all. And come follow me. So that idea of like the sadness of the guy choosing to walk away from Jesus, I think is such a such a compelling picture and one that I, I think we would do well to adopt. Yeah. He says this, man, you're, re- you're ready to be challenged by some questions. Here we go. What matters more to us that we successfully put others in their place or that we are known to love well, hmm. that we win culture wars with carefully constructed arguments and political power plays, or that we win hearts with humility, truth, and love. God have mercy on us. If we do not love well, because all that matters to us is being right and winning arguments. Truth and love can go together. And then ready? Truth and love must go together. Yeah. That is so well put and so often not how we live as Christians. Yeah. I think we miss too that like God isn't loving. Mm-hmm. He is love. Yeah. And so sometimes I feel like the truth and love dichotomy is unhelpful because we use it to justify being really mean people. Like, oh, oh sometimes the the most loving thing you can do is just to be really truthful. And often that's code for being unnecessarily blunt or being unnecessarily being a jerk. uh, Yeah. Being a jerk. Right. And I think that, um, yes, Jesus flips tables and cracks whips, but by and large, the way that he's characterized when he says to the woman caught in adultery, um, Neither do I condemn you. Yep. Now leave your life of sin. It's both and. Yep. yep. And remember who you normally get angry at. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Well, coming up next, we are going to land this plane, park this boat, dock this boat, park this car. Let's do it all. We'll keep going. Tie up the horse. We're going to end the show the way we always do. Keith Conrad, who is our executive producer, finds crazy stories from the Internet. And uh, that is how we end every show. And that's how we are going to end this show. Coming up next on The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. 
Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm, and this is the time of the show uh, where things just go off the rails. Like, I feel like we've got, you know, we've had some deep conversations. We've, we've dug into some hard topics, and then we just end it by just going crazy. And so these are... Uh, always our our disclaimer, our excuse, uh, excuse. our executive uh, <laughs> our executive producer Keith Conrad. If you're watching on Facebook Live, he's put his face in there a couple times. Uh, Keith Conrad, he comes up with crazy stories from the internet, uh, and and Ian and I don't see them before we read them. So if you are insulted. We are insulted at the same time. That's not always the case. Probably true. They get dark. <laughs> Funny stuff that you'll hear. So, uh, Ian, why don't you go first? Okay, here we go. Michigan, my home state. The uh, America's the high, high five. five. Oh, I was close. You're so close. America's high five. Uh, boating couple rescues struggling opossum in Michigan Channel. Oh, it's a sweet mm, story. Nice. Good. A couple out boating on a Michigan Channel came to the rescue of an opossum they saw struggling to stay above the water. Char Morse said that she and her husband were boating on the channel between White Lake and Lake Michigan. My aunt and uncle are selling a house on White Lake right now. And when they spotted the animal in danger of drowning, the video shows the opossum clinging to a flotation device that Morse's husband uses to lift the animal onto the boat. <laughs> I don't think that's a possum. Is it? Do you know what's going to help your uh, your aunt and uncle sell their house on White Lake? The, the fact story. that there are opossums <laughs> swimming in the lake. That's why I didn't give the specifics. Switzerland. Fighter jet display team flies over wrong festival. No way. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Would you call that a Swiss miss? <laughs> visitors to a... Uh? Y- Visitors to a yodeling festival. I want to go to a yodeling festival. Give us a little yodel right now. No, I can't. Just I, try your I, best. I honestly don't have the Just ability. try your best. I'm not going to. Brian. Visitors to a yodeling festival in Switzerland were treated to an unexpected flyby from the country's fighter jet display team who were flying over the wrong town. The Patrol Suisse, the equivalent <laughs> of the U.S. Navy's Blue Angels, were supposed to be flying over a town four miles away to mark the cent- centenary. Of the death of aviation pioneer Oscar Bider, but the squadron leader thought a tent set up for the yodeling festival was part of the Bider event. Yep, they flew over the wrong spot. Talk about the wrong stuff. <laughs> just try the yodel. Just one. No, did you just see the way I just read those? That was like yeah, that reading was part of the yodel. Oh, that was, was, all right. That was a nightmare. South Carolina. Woman charged after allegedly throwing a snake at a woman and stealing her car. <laughs> Why? The snake's car or the woman's car? Oh, good good, <laughs> question, good question. Didn't have a plane, that's for sure. Police say a Greenville woman is accused of assaulting a woman by throwing a snake at her, stealing her car, and driving it through barriers. Police say that they were called to investigate a carjacking report at 8.20 p.m. The victim told the police that a woman threw a black snake at her and stole her SUV around 8.30. An officer saw someone drive through barriers that were set up for a pole vaulting event scheduled for Saturday. <laughs> Officers said a woman that identified later as Hail Mary Marino Berrios. Wow. Refused to stop when an officer tried to perform a traffic stop. Police say they were then led on a chase that ended when the SUV hit an occupied vehicle. Snakes. Why did it have to be Snakes. Not snakes on a plane, though. No, then. Indiana Jones. Oh, and they don't hear the sound effects, no, do they? So they have no, no idea what Indiana we're giggling Jones. about. They never know what we're giggling about. Ah, <laughs> uh, New Jersey. That's my home state. Suspects stole iPhone, posted selfie to victim's Instagram story. Oh, that's terrifying. And if you could see the picture of this selfie, it is terrifying. I'll show them. Talk about leaving a trace. 
Authorities in New Jersey are asking the public to track down an alleged thief who snapped a selfie from a stolen iPhone. The Kearney Police Department said Wednesday on Facebook a man reported on May 16th that his iPhone had been stolen. Shortly after the theft, the suspect posted a close-up photo of himself making a bizarre expression on the victim's Instagram story using the stolen phone. The photo showed a bearded man with brown eyes, glasses, and wearing a green fleece or jacket. Authorities said they were turning to Facebook for help in tracking down the suspect. You filthy criminals. It's on Facebook, probably some Russian. Okay, calm down there, Brian Fromm. New Jersey... Bomb squad searches man's home after odd encounter outside police department. Find 500-pound pig. Holy smokes. Okay. Is there a joke there? Do you have a pun for me? I don't. Okay. I wasn't listening. I was looking at our producer who was (laughs) waving at me. (laughs) Can you give me any of the words in this title right now? Are you looking at it? Bomb squad searches man's home after odd encounter outside police department. All right. They found a 500-pound pig. Well well done. Almost like you read it. Police say they discovered more than they expected when they searched the home of a Tom's River for weapons and possibly bombs, a 500-pound pig. Can we pause for a second? My, my cousin, who was on our Facebook live feed earlier, yeah. lives in Tom's River, New Jersey. No kidding. Yes, she does. <laughs> She's not watching anymore. Okay. But, you know. <laughs> the man, later identified as Joseph Kelly, 56, was in the parking lot of the Tom's River Police Department on Monday morning around 7 a.m. and told the cops they may have uh, had a warrant for his arrest, according to a release from the police a loaded shotgun serving no legitimate purpose was found in his car, so police arrested him, and he was later taken to a local hospital for evaluation, the release stated. Back home, <laughs> I mean, sure. I d- the thing that's frightening to me about all of this, though, is that a pig can even get to be 500 pounds. That is a big pig. 500 pounds, like, what does that even compare to? What in your life is 500 pounds? A lot of bacon. Okay, <laughs> you went right to bacon. It's dinner time for you, isn't it? Would uh, would would you call? What would you name this pig? You know, I've got one in my mind. Please tell me, pork roll. Oh god, no! <laughs> Can you come up with a name for the pig? I was gonna go with Wilbur, or not Wilbur. Wait, I got Wilbur. Wilbur is that Zuckerman's favorite pig? Who's? From Charlotte's Web. Yeah, no, it is Wilbur. It is Wilbur. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Well, that's not as good as pork roll. It's not. Neither are great. Let's be honest. Oh, I think it's good. Oh. Another another weird, weird, small world uh, is that not only does my cousin live in Tom's River, but my childhood best friend, a Tom's River police officer. Really? 100% true. What a small world we live in, Brian. May, I might text him tonight and ask about the 500-pound pig. Yeah, please, let's, See let's if get he's the got pig any, on the show. What if he's got intel on this? That would be awesome. <laughs> intel. What a good use of intel. He's like, yeah, man, it's all over the place. It's blowing up. So anyway, <laughs> this has been a fun day. Those of you on Facebook Live, those of you out there listening, we're glad that you joined us today. Uh, for Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. 
and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.